0: Welcome to Intention to Treat from the New England Journal of Medicine. I'm Rachel Gottbaum. Today, we're going to talk about patients living with HIV long term and why they're more likely to develop the
1: diseases of aging faster, specifically cardiovascular disease i honestly didn't put it together that because i'm living with hiv i'm at greater risk for other comorbidities that i was twice as likely to develop heart disease because of hiv
2: people living with hiv have cardiovascular disease even when they're young and that cardiovascular disease can be prevented
0: today on intention to treat a new strategy that will help millions of patients living with HIV avoid death from heart disease.
3: My name is Rob Quinn. I'm 63 years old. I was diagnosed HIV positive in 1993 I'm at the age of 34. So God willing, this November will be 30 years that I've been living with HIV AIDS. I was diagnosed in 1993. So that was before the, the advent of protease inhibitors and other medications. So for two years, I was really just taking some vitamins. And then of course, medications came along in 95. I was doing very well, but then I guess, and I remember being at the beach, and I felt a, like a bump on the back of my head. And I looked and it just looked like a little like black and blue. It was Kaposi sarcoma, which as you know is, is a skin cancer as a result of HIV AIDS. Now I had a diagnosis of AIDS. I was diagnosed with AIDS and, and shortly after, I remember I was home and my heart started racing and I started to feel really like I just was gonna fall. Sure enough, I had my first heart attack in 1999. I was 39, you know, so not even 40. At that time, I remember going to my provider, sharing with him that I was having chest pain. I had these symptoms. You know, I had the heart attack and he felt that there was no correlation, no nothing tying it to the HIV. Things seemed okay on paper. But we never brought it up again. Then in 2012, I had a second heart attack. And I had been telling providers that there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And they would do these, like, blood pressure tests and these really simple tests. And everything's coming back normal. I spoke to my primary care Provider. And I think he just, to please me, ordered an echocardiogram because, you know, he did my blood pressure. My blood pressure was fine. You know, did some routine lab work. My routine lab work was fine. But I'm like, something's not fine. He said, well, you could do a cardiac catheterization and see if there's any blockages. And sure enough, I did have blockages. And as a result, I now have two stents and a defibrillator. But if it wasn't for me pushing them, I probably would be six feet under, because on paper, things were coming back in normal range. I was living in Springfield, and there were no cardiologists that had HIV experience. So I decided, well, let me move back to Boston. I ended up at Massachusetts General Hospital with an amazing cardiologist, and he did a whole battery of tests, he, and then he ordered an echocardiogram, which showed that my ejection fraction was at 35. So my heart wasn't pumping the blood out fast enough, which means it was backing up. So that could have led to stroke and other things. So it had to be corrected. I ended up having to have the defibrillator implanted because I went into AFib so fast, my heart rate went so fast that they were very concerned. You know, HIV is the easy part now. It's all the aging stuff that's coming up. But we hit that aging, those markers earlier than people who are not living with HIV. We're classified as like the silver generation because we're really the first generation of long-term survivors. So a lot of this is new to everybody. It's new to the patients. It's new to the providers. So we have to take a step back every now and then just realize we're all learning this together. When I first started taking HIV meds too, I was taking like upwards of 40 pills. And it's funny, now I take a single tablet HIV med, but I have seven medications for my heart. Thank God that I got the care that I needed and I deserve and is allowing me to thrive.
1: My name is Alicia Diggs, I am 51 years young and I was diagnosed at the age of 29, which was in 2001. I actually contracted HIV from my now ex-husband who failed to disclose to me after I asked had he been diagnosed or had he been tested. This person who I thought I knew was actually living with an AIDS diagnosis at the time and kept that information from me. So, when I was diagnosed, there was no treatment for me because I was considered at a normal range. Nowadays, it's get into care, get on meds. That was not the thing back in the early 2000s. It was as long as your CD4 levels were at a certain point, there was no treatment you needed to get in. For 10 years, I was considered a non progressor. But by the time that 10th year came, my CD4 numbers started to drop. Those numbers continued to drop every time I went to the doctor. So I asked for a medication. I was the one who asked, what treatments are available for me that will allow me to work full-time, go to school full-time, and take care of my children without being sick? Then I was introduced to medication. I have been doing absolutely great. And my CD4 levels are through the roof, meaning they're over 1,000. Now there's not been any you know, heart issues, any lung issues, anything like that. So as far as my organs and everything are concerned, I'm thankful that for me, I have not experienced those, but I'm aware of it because I do know many peers who have experienced HIV for a long time and aging through HIV. They are, you know, dealing with heart issues, so heart disease. They're also dealing with kidney issues, kidney disease, sight issues, cognitive issues. I have heard that people living with HIV age faster. So, yes, as a person living with HIV, though I am in my 50s, sometimes my body feels as if I'm in my 60s. And there is a concern as a person taking medication and living as long as I have lived with HIV, the long-term effects. So I'm trying to do everything that I can to prevent any long-term effects or to at least combat them before it happens. For me, I am... Learning to see this from a different lens, see aging and HIV from a different lens because this virus has affected our immune system and our organs for so many years. It's a battlefield on the inside. I honestly didn't put it together that because I'm living with HIV, I'm at greater risk for other comorbidities that I was twice as likely to develop heart disease because of HIV. Why it's not talked about, I'm not sure. And it should be talked about so that people understand the true severity of what HIV does to the body. If you just look past all of that, then you're doing an injustice. So now that I'm seeing it from a different lens, I'm not just saying, okay, well, I'm just aging. So I'm trying to do everything that I can to prevent any long-term effects or to at least combat them before it happens.
0: This is Intention to Treat from the New England Journal of Medicine. I'm Rachel Gottmau. There are millions of people worldwide living with HIV. Their virus can be controlled with effective antiretroviral therapies, but fighting the virus is taking a toll on their bodies. And these patients are more likely to develop heart disease and other diseases of aging early. We're joined now by Dr. Stephen Grinspoon. He's chief of the Metabolism Unit at Massachusetts General Hospital. Dr. Grinspoon led a global study that helped prevent heart disease in thousands of HIV patients. Dr. Grinspoon, let's first talk about what is the status of HIV patients and heart disease and some of these other diseases from
2: inflammation. People living with HIV are doing much better now, of course, because of the efficacy of long-term effective antiretroviral therapy. What we see now is a closing mortality gap. People with HIV are living longer, but there is a persistent comorbidity gap, including specifically cardiovascular disease. Cardiovascular disease is increased twofold among patients living with HIV compared to other populations without HIV in which it's decreasing. And we also know that people living with HIV have a significantly increased inflammation And we and others have shown that the surface of the arterial system is inflamed among people living with HIV. So the current antiretroviral therapy is effective at keeping the virus in check, but there is still a little bit of virus living in the macrophages, hunkered down in there, and the innate immune system is turned on to try and fight that chronically. This is a good thing in general because the body is effectively trying to fight the virus along with the antiretroviral therapy. But there may be collateral damage from this persistent immune activation, including to other organ systems, such as the cardiovascular system.
0: So, Dr. Grinspoon, can you explain how these patients are different and how they may have diseases of aging? they're more likely to have diseases of aging earlier and and what that looks like.
2: People living with HIV do have indices of premature aging. And we think that's also related to this persistent immune activation and inflammation. For example, people living with HIV have coronary artery disease plaque at a level that's seen in patients 10 years older. And that's a prime example of this premature uh, aging phenomena. In addition, patients living with HIV often show frailty, uh, chronic kidney disease, some problems with cognition. So the focus of our research has been specifically on the cardiovascular system. And we have shown that it is inflamed and that 50% of people with HIV age 50 have coronary plaque. And particularly, it's shocking because the predicted risk in that group was only 5%. So those patients in that study, they were young, age 50. And despite that, half of them had coronary plaque. That's something you would not expect, not in a 50-year-old. Now, in addition, there are certain features of plaque which make them vulnerable, vulnerable to rupture. And when you rupture, you have a heart attack. The features of vulnerability of plaque include non-calcification, soft plaque, and those features were seen in 23% of the patients in the study I'm referring to. Significant evidence of premature aging in that population.
0: Let's talk about your hunch, because this all came from your research over the years. So tell me what your hunch was and what brought us to this study and how this study worked.
2: Our hunch was if we enrolled a group of relatively young patients living with HIV, they'd be inflamed. They'd have cardiovascular risk, but they wouldn't be showing that cardiovascular risk by traditional risk scores. So our hunch was we could come up with a strategy to prevent that disease in that population. And that's a pretty out there hypothesis because most doctors would not treat young patients without traditional risk factors. They they just don't fall into the typical algorithms of treatment. So we really pushed the boundary by enrolling this population that no one would seem to treat, but we knew based on our data, would have significant cardiovascular disease. So what did we do? We picked a statin strategy. And you might say statins, well, those drugs are used to lower cholesterol. People know that they work to lower cholesterol. But what people... Don't realize so much about statins is that they also have significant anti inflammatory effects. So, uh, our hypothesis was that we could get a two for one strategy. In other words, we could give patients a statin, which would work to lower cholesterol. That's not a bad thing. And that does help with cardiovascular disease. It's important, very important. But at the same time, this drug would be lowering inflammation and residual immune activation. And it was our hope that that package would prevent cardiovascular disease in this population because in the study that we conducted, we only enrolled people who never had a history of heart disease. That doesn't mean that they didn't have plaque at baseline, subclinical plaque. In fact, we showed that they did, but they didn't have clinical manifestations. So they were ticking time bombs. We enrolled that population that was a ticking time bomb population. And in fact, we were able to show over five years of follow-up, a 35% reduction in the rates of cardiovascular disease in the treatment group compared to placebo. And our data safety monitoring board met in late March of this year and actually stopped the study prematurely because the signal of efficacy was so robust and strong. And they also found that there were no unexpected or unanticipated adverse events. This trial was hugely
0: ambitious. Tell us more about that.
2: There are approximately 38 to 39 million people living with HIV today. The great majority is in Sub-Saharan Africa and other places, though there are substantial numbers in North America. Yet, most studies focus on people living in North America and other higher income regions. We purposely set out to broaden the net and enroll participants' across the globe, in high-income and low-income regions, Sub-Saharan Africa, the Caribbean, Haiti, South America, Thailand, India, and other places as well. So our results are absolutely generalizable to all the populations across those regions. Importantly, a large percentage of people living with HIV are women. 31% of the trial population were female. Also, only 35% of the participants were white, which means 65% were non-white. So our study population is reflective of that diversity across the globe. But to do a prevention trial, it's much harder than doing a treatment trial. We pick people specifically, excluding anyone who had known clinical cardiovascular disease. and. You have to enroll a very large number of patients into a trial to be able to show a clinically relevant reduction in heart disease. And in fact, we enrolled 7,769 participants, which was a very large number and very ambitious indeed in 12 countries.
0: There's been this theory that the antiretroviral therapies are contributing to this Problem, the cardiovascular and other diseases of aging early on that we are seeing among HIV patients. What does your research and this study and other research tell us?
2: There's been an evolution in thought of what's contributing to the excess cardiovascular risk in people living with HIV. In the beginning, much was attributed to antiretroviral therapy and its effects. The earlier drugs led to changes in body fat with increasing fat in the abdominal area or belly fat and loss of fat in the subcutaneous areas, particularly in the face. In addition, some of these therapies led to insulin resistance and outright diabetes. The more current antiretroviral therapies do not lead to these significant complications. Another piece of the puzzle is the fact that initially people thought, oh, these antiretroviral therapies are are toxic enough that we should actually be delaying their initiation to avoid toxicity in them. But in fact, interestingly, the opposite was shown, that initiation and a more more aggressive use of antiretroviral therapy led to fewer comorbidities in addition to less uh, AIDS-specific diseases. Well, that's because earlier use just shut the virus down. But what we've learned subsequently in, you know, antiretroviral therapy knowledge 2.0 is that the shutting it down doesn't shut it down entirely. There's still this low grade inflammation that persists. The therapies are excellent, they are necessary, they are life saving, but they are not good enough to prevent this low grade inflammation. That's where our hunch came in that if we added an anti inflammatory strategy that was safe, On top of the antiretroviral therapy, we would have patients who could more effectively control these comorbidities, specifically cardiovascular disease in our case. We certainly showed there was a reduction in major adverse cardiovascular events, heart attacks, and strokes. There are other anti inflammatory strategies. The problem with some of the anti inflammatory strategies is that if you tweak the system too much and you lower that innate immune function, you may actually increase the risk of infection too much. So you have to thread the needle. You have to come up with a strategy that effectively lowers it, a low-level inflammation, but also doesn't do it to such a degree that it unleashes the virus and causes the primary infection to rear its head again and cause a problem. We don't want that to happen. So it's a very interesting task of threading the needle here and finding the right strategy. Now, going forward, we could try other therapies if we want, or I think more likely, we should recommend statin therapy, at least, for patients with low to moderate disease living with HIV who would not ordinarily be recommended that. Current guidelines do recommend that physicians discuss with their patients if they have HIV, that that could potentially increase the risk of cardiovascular disease. Yet, statin prescribing was still very low among people living with HIV, despite the fact that that was noted as a risk enhancer.
0: If, in fact, we knew HIV patients were twice as likely to get cardiovascular disease, we knew that, and there were recommendations that the statins were prescribed, why were they not? What happened here?
2: Right now, the traditional risk algorithms that people use to put people on a statin don't typically measure inflammatory pathways. In the case of HIV, don't measure any HIV-specific scoring. We have an important opportunity to actually use the reprieve data to develop our own scoring system to perhaps come up with a new risk prediction algorithm that's more specific and accurate in people living with HIV. We have not done that yet. It is a hope of ours to be able to do that. And I think we have the data to do that.
0: How does this change how we are going to be looking at HIV, looking at inflammation, these risk factors, and how we're going to be caring for possibly millions of patients? I mean, how do you see this moving forward now?
2: I think this is a game changer because, you know, we've got the virus pretty much under control with the use of effective antiretroviral therapy. But the problem that's emerged is this: is now people living with HIV are now living with a chronic disease. It happens to be a chronic inflammatory disease. So they're living with this chronic inflammatory disease, yet there's been no focus on that. Um, the only focus has been to get the virus in check. Which is great, but it's not enough. It's critical, but not sufficient. This is the first global study to try to prevent a condition that's associated with HIV, which is surprisingly cardiovascular disease. We've known it's a risk enhancer. We've kind of ignored that. We've known that there are strategies. We've kind of ignored that. Reprieve has, I hope, woken people up to the fact that people living with HIV have cardiovascular disease, even when they're young. And that cardiovascular disease can be prevented. And it's a chronic condition that needs to be treated. We need to pay attention to it. We need to pay attention to other conditions as well that are associated with living with HIV chronically. Thank you so much, Dr. Grinspoon. Thank you, Rachel. I really appreciate it. It's been a wonderful discussion.
0: Dr. Stephen Grinspoon is chief of the metabolism unit at Massachusetts General Hospital. This is Intention to Treat from the New England Journal of Medicine. Next time, a new approach to treating the growing number of patients suffering from heart failure. Before I lost the weight, I was pretty sluggish and we did go to cardiac rehab twice a week. And We don't do that anymore. I've lost 35 pounds. I feel really good now about myself and about my health. That's next time on Intention to Treat from the New England Journal of Medicine. I'm Rachel Gopel.